Modern day critics of Christianity and the Bible often point to the multiple mentions of slavery and the seeming justification for it. Defenders of the faith tell us that the slavery of the ancient Near East is something wholly different from the American slave trade and that our minds go to, but what was biblical slavery really like? Is that true? Was it worse for women? How can we follow a God who would sanction such a thing? Or did he? We're going to be exploring all of that and more on today's episode of Theology On Air. Well, welcome back to Theology On Air. Um, We're excited that you're joining us. We, of course, are an offshoot of Theology On Tap, which is a ministry here in Houston where we drink delicious beer and talk about fascinating things around faith and culture and um, theology and the Bible and just lots of juicy things. But we get to even climb in further in the podcast, and that's what we're going to do today. I am Sarah Stone. I'm the Executive Director for Theology On Tap, joined as always by Evan McClanahan, who is the senior pastor here at First Lutheran Church in Midtown. And um, we are joined today by Lynn Kohick. I'm really excited. She'll tell you some more about herself, but she is the Distinguished Professor of New Testament at HCU, as well as the director of the Houston Theological Seminary. So that's like two very big hats right there. Welcome. Thank you, here. Sarah. Thank yeah. you, Evan. It's really great to be here. Yeah. And if you want to know anything about Theology on Tap, our upcoming events, listen to more podcasts, give us lots of money, any of that kind of thing, you can do all of that at HoustonTOT.com. It's HoustonTOT for Theology on Tap. Dot com. And uh, so, yeah. So this is the first time that Lynn has been joining us, uh, has joined us. And um, she's working on all kinds of things. And we were on the phone. You said, well, I could talk about this. Or I could talk about that. So I picked this one because it's um, it's spicy and it's um, juicy and it's, you know, kind of dangerous and <laughs> makes people nervous. And that's kind of what we do here. But before we get into the actual topic for today, I want people to just kind of get a feel for who you are. And so maybe tell us just a little bit about you and maybe how you came to faith and what brought you to even wanting to explore all of these kind of nerdy topics. Yeah, sure. Well, I uh, came to faith when I was in high school. Okay. And I was uh, raised United Methodist. Okay. Um, nominal. So I'm, I was born in Pittsburgh. We've only lived in Houston about six months. Yeah, she's so a newbie, a y'all. Yeah, and it's a beautiful fall day, and it just makes me chuckle because <laughs> what are the leaves changing colors? Oh, no, know? that happens it, at the end elsewhere. of winter. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. yeah so well, They just turn in, brown and fall off. I mean, there's, <laughs> oh, yeah. there's a few well, pretty ones. but we left our snowblower up in Chicago. And That's we're right. very happy to do that, so no complaints. So I... Um, but as I say, I was uh, born in Pittsburgh, which means I'm a real Pittsburgh Steeler fan. Okay, it just kind of comes with the with the territory. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a so law, that, right? Like, pardon? It's, it's a, a law, law, right? Like, it pretty much is. It's in yeah. the blood. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, my Sundays growing up, maybe we would go to church, but we for sure watched the Steelers. Oh, funny. Right? So that's when I say nominal. I mean, yeah. we were like a good Christian family that also watched football. That's cute on Sundays and. And then when I was in high school, I had uh, a real conversion, uh, hmm. like made my faith my own, mm-hmm. I would say. And uh, this was part of an evangelical free church. That's the seminary I went to, EV Free. At Ted's. Nice. Up, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 So up there in on uh, the lake. Chicago sorry, land. A little, yeah. a little off the lake, but still yeah. the winds from yes. the lake in the winter. Um, yeah. So uh, that... We were part of that church. I met my husband in that congregation. And um, so uh, that that was a lot of my formative time in the church. And 
we had a fantastic pastor who really preached sort of verse by verse through mm-hmm. the Bible. So mm-hmm. I learned so much from the Bible and I, I've always loved reading. I've always loved studying history. My mother said, you were always teaching your younger brother and sister. That's <laughs> so cute. I'm sure they loved that. Oh, yeah, I don't know. I, <laughs> there was a pass. wink and a nod there. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, so I think I fell into being a professor kind of naturally. Yeah. And then being a professor of the New Testament really fit my love of the Bible, my love of history. Yeah. And so I love, in, in getting at the biblical text, what I really like to do is imagine what that world looked like mm-hmm. and what the individual house churches looked like. How did they function? The, m- many of them are were raised Jews. Um, others were raised Gentile, which would be pagan. Mm-hmm. So they're both coming into this new situation, new in different ways. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so that's that's what intrigued me. And yeah. I've uh, been very interested in that. And then I think because, uh, well, you went to TED's um, Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. That's where our pastor um, from the Evangelical Free Church that we were part yeah. of, that's where he went. Okay. But when I desired to go, uh, the church would not sign a letter of recommendation for me. The, the pastor I had been talking about was no longer pastor. There was okay. a different one. But the church board, if I wanted to study uh, Bible, I could go if because I... of you being a woman. Exactly. Yes. Ooh, yeah. I'm. I'm actually. I'm surprised to hear that about. Yeah, but I guess it wasn't about Ted's. It was about that particular pastor. Okay. Yes. Okay. And the, and the way the church felt about women studying the Bible. To uh, go to seminary, even yeah, I could do uh, Christian education, and I could do church history. Yeah. I. Didn't Not an MD either. Of those. Yeah. No, no. So, wow. um, yeah, yeah. So huh. I find uh, God has a wonderful sense of humor in mm-hmm. that I um, have now, I've had leadership roles in a couple of different seminaries now yeah. here at Houston. Um, so, yeah, but I actually don't have a seminary degree. I went from undergrad on to my PhD. Mm-hmm. I know. Yeah. So, okay. anyway. Yeah, Where'd you get so, your PhD? University of Pennsylvania in okay. Philadelphia. Yeah. And then how did they convince you to move down here to Houston? Because you're new. I mean, it's a fantastic role, but like, yeah. how did that happen that you landed here? Yeah. Well, the I uh, had been doing administration, as I mentioned, um, the like a VP of academics. It's often called provost. Yeah. But nobody really knows what that I think it sounds fancy. Way back though. in the day, it was like yeah. a jailer, you know? Jailer. <laughs> it's a warden. Way back, yeah, yeah. A warden. Yeah. So I'd been doing that, but really found that I missed the classroom. And I'm very interested not only in the uh, early church, broadly speaking, but also how women mm-hmm. um, were part of the early church and, and what they did and how they contributed. And so um, I, I really wanted to get back in the classroom and um, teach men and women and also to maybe uh, be a little bit more focused on the history of women in the church. And yeah. So to that end, um, two colleagues of mine and I uh, received a grant to start what is called the visual. This museum. was my next question for yeah. you. So you're segued perfectly into it. I'm, yeah. well, I'm really intrigued here, by this. You know, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so the visual museum, which people can look at visualmuseum.gallery. Okay. Is how people would find it. And it's um, a, a source where people can download photos for free. And it's a educational resource. So we have 
pictures of artwork that depict either biblical women like Mary, the mother of Jesus, or Mary Magdalene, or other women, sometimes Mm -hmm. unnamed, even in the biblical text, and then uh, women who were important in the early church, like the martyrs, um, Hmm. Perpetua and Felicitas, or Thecla. So we have those um, in artwork, maybe sculpture, maybe frescoes, and they are uh, identified, a, a brief history is given. Sometimes we're able to give a little bit more information about the actual artwork. Mm-hmm. And everything is for free. So you can download these pictures and use them in whatever, you know, with resources that, that you would like um, as an educational resource. I and mean, if you know just how influential so many of these women mm-hmm. were, in forming the liturgy and the theology and even the continuation of the church when I think of like yeah. the age of the martyrs. Yeah. That's it's so cool. I mean, and it's just you don't even think about the fact that there's vis- there's artwork, like mm-hmm. visual artwork all around the world that tells this whole story to to add to what we already know from from the Bible and from history. So I love that. It's sort of like archaeology meets history meets, you know, art. Yes. Uh very cool. I love that. Um, and that's, say it again, where people can go to take a look at that. Visualmuseum.gallery. Visualmuseum.gallery. Mm-hmm. Okay. I love that. Very cool. Do you have any artwork? This is probably going way too far back. Of the um, the Pharaoh's daughter who most likely took Moses out of the river and raised him. That's so old that I'm guessing maybe not. But I, I don't think so. I don't think that that... Uh, she has a funny name. I used to know it. Back when I was teaching that, but I've forgotten it now. It starts with an H. Anyway. And I'm New Testament, so I don't... That, <laughs> She's you know, like, that's I, not I, my... I, is it in the Bible or is it like a... No, legend? it's not in the Bible, but it's oh, okay. pretty archaeologically, like, it's gotcha. a solid, solid guess. Gotcha. Mm, anyway. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll try and find it. Okay. And that could be... This is an open source in the sense that people can contribute. So if um, our listeners have gone to different places, you know, around the Mediterranean or in mm-hmm. Egypt, mm-hmm. Uh, elsewhere in Ethiopia, and you have photos that you would feel, com- you know, you, in a sense, donate so that people could, right. I mean, we can give credit, but we don't take any funds or, I mean, it's not copyright right, in right. that regard. As long as my photo is next to it and just as big as, because I'm adding to ministry. I'm joking. Yeah. Okay. Let's move on. <laughs> okay. So when, so uh, I don't know exactly when this is going to air, but I'm sure it's going to air before our December Theology on Tap event. In December, you're going to be coming and talking about women in ministry. Um, we're going to have a, a little bit of a showdown, not quite a debate, but a definitely a discussion with different perspectives about women in ministry and all that kind of stuff. So when we knew we wanted to have you on the podcast, I didn't necessarily want to do that again, right? We don't need to relitigate that over and over again. I wanted something else for people to get a flavor of you. And you said that you're doing work on um, this idea of slavery in the ancient Near East, specifically the New Testament. Um, what, like, why that topic? Why is that interesting to you? Why did you think that needed to be kind of dug into? Yeah. Well, I've uh, written a commentary on Ephesians, and in the oh, letter to the Ephesians. I'm joking. That's amazing. Sorry. <laughs> uh, and so in it, there's a section that often we call the household codes because mm-hmm. it talks about hus- uh, wives and husbands, children and parents, and mm-hmm. slaves and owners. And those three categories uh, were part of how people talked about the family in the ancient world. And it goes uh, back further than Paul and the first century. It goes back to Aristotle in classical Athens, which was 
four or 500 years before. Okay. And so those categories were already kind of set. Mm-hmm. So if you were going to talk about family life, and of course the churches met in homes mm-hmm. at this time, so it was very natural to have family members as part of the gathering, then you would at least be thinking in those three pairs. So okay. I think it's important to know because it's not as though Paul was just arbitrarily deciding I'm going to talk about these yeah. people and not use some existing scaffolding. Sounds right. Like. Yeah. But underneath that then are also the realities that there are widows and widowers. Mm-hmm. Lots of people married at this time, but they might marry two or three times because they lost a spouse. Mm-hmm. So the death rate was so high. And for uh, we, we forget like no antibiotics at that time, yeah. a broken bone that gets infected, you know, that in the yeah. United States, we rarely have happen, you know, just there's so many things, fortunately, that we can take for granted that in the ancient world, yeah. they, they just didn't have any knowledge of to say nothing about good nutritional knowledge, yeah. you know, all of that. So short lifespans. Um, and then, um, you, you also had this, uh, category of freed men mm-hmm. and freed women. And it was a very important category for the Romans. Uh, and we're in the Roman imperial period in the first century when Jesus lived and when the New Testament was written. And so that category, while it was a very real life experience, it's not part of household codes. Like it's not discussed. Same with widows and widowers. You don't really hear that much about yeah. them. But yet, they're, they were always present. And so you would have a lot of orphans. They considered someone an orphan if the father had died, even if the mother was alive. Oh, interesting. And so, yeah. So in other words, the family was as complex then as it often can be today. Blended yeah. families, we might call them today. Yeah. That happened in the ancient world. Yeah. You know? And so I, uh, I like to see how, how people lived uh-huh. And and I'm especially interested in women's experiences. Of course. And so typically a topic like freedmen is like looking at men who are slaves and then are freed mm-hmm. and what their experiences. And sometimes there's similarities with women's experience and sometimes they're very different. And so that's what I was exploring. Yeah. Okay. So you said several things in there we're going to kind of um, dive into. But I think when people hear the word slavery... And it doesn't matter even if they tell themselves not to do this in America, at least we just think of the American slave trade. And, um, and I know, you know, then apologists will often say, well, no, 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 indentured servitude and this kind of, you know, slavery was different. And, um, and, and so it was different all throughout the Bible, even probably differences between Old and New Testament life. But, um, maybe you can help us understand that. Like, how is Roman slavery different from what we think of naturally when we think of chattel slavery? Yeah, thank you. Well, I think uh, I'll start with an important similarity, which is that in slavery, one human owns another human. Mm. And whenever you have that kind of sanctioned power, you're going to have violence, you're going to have abuse. Manipulation, so, yeah. That's right. So um, no matter what I might say in terms of distinguishing things or uh, not even qualifying, but explaining. Mm -hmm. I never want us to lose sight of the fact that in any case, slavery is an institution of domination Mm -hmm. and it is inherently violent. Um, And I don't 
see it being sanctioned by God, like accepted by God. Mm-hmm. There are rules that Israel in in its time were they were to follow to maybe mitigate the power right. of the slave owner and especially not to have perpetual slavery for fellow Israelites. Um, in the New Testament, there's no separate um, Jewish state at this time. I mean, you have Herod, king of the Jews, but he's a proxy for the imperial government, right? right? So there's not an independent Jewish state. And so they're following the codes of the Romans primarily. Okay. So now maybe the significant difference in um, the experience of the United States, uh, slavery was racially based. Mm-hmm. Um, that that went even a little bit further back into the continental Europe, and it's mm-hmm. uh, when when it began to stretch out from its shores and um, do trade, and then colonizing and whatnot. There was a, a philosophy that developed that privileged light skin mm-hmm. and connected it with good things with it, it equated it with civilization mm-hmm. all those sorts of flourishing health yeah all of that contributes then to the racism that was endemic to the United States experience of slavery um, and the uh, the church um, did not shine by any means in in this yeah. Um, Although there were white abolitionists mm-hmm. and very brave African American um, abolitionists and freed slaves and slaves in yeah. this, so we might find bright moments to be thankful for. But overall, uh, not a great moment for the American church. Yeah, huge failure. Um, the uh, in the first century world with slavery, it it didn't connect with skin color. So, right. So that you you would be able to know who a slave is usually by how poorly they were dressed. They might have like oh. a shorter tunic okay. um, so that they would have freer movement. You know, they wouldn't wear a toga or they wouldn't, have, you know, it's sort of the, the insignia of rank, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so to speak, would not uh, be there. But the tasks that they would do, especially the men. Well, no, I, men and women, they did different tasks, men and women. But sure. But free people also did a lot of the same things that slaves did, especially urban slaves. So that's why I say you can't necessarily tell uh, uh, by job or just by uh, um, the the character of the the demeanor, the look, the look, yes, um, the skin color of of the individual. Um, Slaves um, were at as I said, doing a lot of different tasks in the home. Um, women might be, and men, but they could be sent to be apprentice, like as weavers. Okay. Sent to somewhere else. So there was an investment, so mm-hmm. to speak. Sounds callous, but you know what I mean? Like the owner yeah. would invest like in a the benefactor. education. Yeah, of the slave. Um, wet nurses mm-hmm. were very uh, common. They were um, very, um, e- even if you weren't, real wealthy, it seems like you still wanted to get a wet nurse. And I'm not Hmm. entirely sure why, because at the same time, there was also a lot of praise given for 
women, mothers who nurse their own children. So it's kind of an interest. I, I'm yeah. not really sure what to do with what seems like conflicting. Maybe it's just those middle of the night feedings. That's why I would want a wet nurse. We did not have a wet nurse just for my listeners. But uh, yeah, that is interesting. Yeah. So, and obviously that would be something uh, a woman would do and then perhaps become what we might call a nanny mm-hmm. um, uh, or uh, serve another family. So we have a couple of contracts of a woman who uh, served, I'm trying to think, maybe 18 months with a family mm-hmm. um, as a wet nurse. And there were certain stipulations like a boy getting pregnant herself. Um, huh. And then um, when that 18 months was done, um, assuming she could get another job right away to keep her milk going, okay. Or mm-hmm. maybe she would have a another pregnancy. And I, I mean, right. I don't want to get into a biology lesson. I here. think we eighth all kind of health. understand that to lactate, you <laughs> yeah, have to have been pregnant. We health here. But anyway, so uh, women uh, would serve that way mm-hmm. and would do the kinds of things that a wife would do in the house. Right. Okay. And, and maybe have some skill with weaving, but also daughters Cooking. could be that, uh, that way. And they would help, especially if you had a wealthy woman, you might do her hair and braid uh, gold uh, netting into her hair, or some of the frescoes that we see, um, or even just some of the busts of um, very wealthy women at the time. It's clear their hairstyles took a long time to create. And so when the New Testament talks against uh, women wearing pearls and it's about braided hair, wealth, right? All that, yeah. It's, yeah. it's you're showing off your wealth, yeah. and and that can be uh, implicitly humiliating to others in the congregation mm-hmm. who don't have that, right? Mm-hmm. So um, there was no such thing as conspicuous consumption as a bad thing. You were supposed to conspicuously yeah. consump and consump. <laughs> we made that word up. Yeah. Uh, so let me let me yeah. pause you for a second because I want to. Like some of the things you're describing here don't really sound that bad. Like, um, cause we see, like, if you just watch, you know, um, oh my gosh, what is the super, uh, Downton Abbey or something like that? You see the same kind of thing. You see people that, um, I mean, I'm sure they would prefer not to be in that position, but it's not like, you know, they're being whipped or tortured or oh, working. Yes, you they know? are. That's the thing. Okay. So, yeah. so maybe talk about that a little bit. Cause everything you've said so far, I'm like, well, you know, people still have wet nurses. They still have nannies. They still have people to cook and clean, but it's mm-hmm. obviously different. Hey guys, Sarah here. Sorry to interrupt the podcast. I know it was awesome, but I just wanted to tell you that Theology on Tap is growing. We are now a standalone ministry, an independent nonprofit, and to grow, we need your help. We're offering more live events, more follow-up opportunities to reach the unchurched, and increased partnerships with local churches. You can help us grow by praying for us, by telling your friends or church about us, and of course, partnering with us financially. To donate, go to houstontot.com forward slash give. Okay, enjoy the rest of the show. So one of the the ways that the Romans distinguished, let's say, between a female slave and a wife was that the female slave could be beaten with a rod, oh, gosh. Uh, whipped. Uh, there were laws about... Um, just how far one could go beyond which then the slave automatically received their freedom. You know, this, these are dead. Roman laws. Okay. Mm-hmm. But the Jews were working under this 
uh, you know, system. So, okay. The, how the Jews will talk, though, about slavery and the treatment of slaves. Um, we have two individuals, uh, Philo, who lived at the beginning of the first century, and Josephus, who lived at mm-hmm. the end. And you don't hear this kind of treatment at mm-hmm. all. Philo talks especially about how slaves should not be asked to work on Shabbat, on yeah. Sabbath, um, that it's very important for for that. So you, you don't that those Jewish authors will distinguish themselves hmm. um, from yeah. the kind of treatment that they would see uh, Romans. And there are Roman philosophers at this time. Stoicism was very popular at this time that would speak against any kind of uh, anger outburst as being not philosophically appropriate. As a right. free male, the sign of a free male is that you had control, including self-control, yeah. mm-hmm. including self-control. So nevertheless, there's also all kinds of uh, proof, uh, literature in laws and visually that slaves were incredibly mistreated. Mm-hmm. So the scars, just you just assume that a slave, even if they came out of that and were freed, you, they never were free, right? You right, we're going to get to that, yeah. Yep, this middle category. They nevertheless bore the scars on their body with mm. that. The other thing to remember is that slaves were available sexually to their owners. Oh, yes. that's a very big caveat. That's yes. terrible. Well, and that is true, I think, in the American experience as yeah. well. Yeah. And um, yeah, well, it is true. Um, and... So the slave being owned and being in a system of domination by the owner um, had no recourse to decline. And so the other thing is with the Roman, um, the Roman understanding of sexuality is that you had the active person and the passive person. Mm-hmm. The And the therefore, it, it wasn't so much man and woman, it didn't need to be, it could be man and man, so long as less so woman and woman. I mean, technically they could, but the Roman men, uh, which we have, you know, most of our evidence is written by them, just really didn't care. (laughs) So, so we don't know as much about woman on woman love. Sure. But man and man love, um, or more typically man and boy or young man, Mm -hmm. um, was, uh, was not frowned upon so long as the active and passive was a part of a part of things. Goodness. So that's true for in the, in the Roman household as it uh, pertains to slaves. It's not true for the matron of the house. She did not have the freedom to have sexual relations with her male slave. That was strongly frowned upon. These sound like terrible, terrible rules in every possible way. Yes. Her- and the women. Yeah, go ahead. Well, how how long, what was the duration of, in, in the Old Testament law, it was seven years for Israelite with an Israelite. In the Roman system, was it as long as they were like month to month or was it a, was there a time period or was it forever? Or? It was until the owner thought it was good to free you. Oh, goodness. Hmm. So it was permanent in oh. that sense. But yet there was such a strong emphasis in the Roman system of manumission, which is freeing, the process of freeing a slave. There was... Um, especially starting in the first century, starting with Augustus, the first emperor, he begins his rule a little before the beginning of the first century AD. Um, they, the Romans thought of freeing their slaves, if they were Roman citizens, 
they would give their slaves upon their freedom, upon their manumission. I'll say manumission instead of freedom, because I think when, we, when I hear freedom, I think actual free. freedom. Yeah. Yeah. But they move into a category of freed, which mm. is not independence. It's not freedom the way that we think of it. So mm. I, I'll use the word manumitted so okay. that we give ourselves a bit of historical different, uh, distance. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the, um, the Romans attached citizenship to manumission. And that what that really changed how they saw the freedmen. So maybe it's an incentivized exactly, yeah, exactly. They saw the owner giving a benefit mm-hmm. by freeing a slave, and if that slave had been trained, I'm talking mainly urban slaves right now. Yeah. I'm not talking slaves who worked in the mines. I'm not talking about the slaves who worked in the fields. They. Okay. They had a very hard life, and it wasn't a long one. So mm. they might be able to earn a little bit of money outside of their tasks uh, called a uh, peculium, and that they could then sort of buy their freedom. Um, hmm. But everything was owned by the owner anyway. So the yeah. owner was still saying, okay, you can keep this little bit. Ironically, sons also had that same setup. The father kind of owned everything in hmm. in that legal sense yeah. um, on his children. Um, so anyway, to get back to the, let's say the urban context, yeah. which is the context of the New Testament churches and where mm-hmm. we get most of our information also from the ancient world. So the, the male slave of a Roman citizen could reasonably expect that if they did a really good job and showed loyalty, that they would be given uh, would be manumitted. Mm-hmm. And then they would enter into a deeper relationship with their ex-owner who would become, in a sense, their patron. Okay. And that's why I mean that they're never free. They're yeah. always attached to the patron. And when I did more research on women being freed, mm-hmm. very, I don't know what the percentage but is, but often a woman who was manumitted was manumitted so that she could marry her former owner. Oh, goody. Great luck for her. Hmm. But I guess that still elevates her status, right? It does. Because yeah. it does. Yes. It's it uh Well, she would have probably been happy with the arrangement. Happy right? in because one she, way. Yes, because she now had the opportunity to be a matron. As a mm-hmm. wife, she now had agency. She had an there was an expectation that she would um, follow the moral codes of a Roman matron. And she'd be able to, um, it, re, um, she could she could be insulted publicly um, if someone made a lewd comment to her. Whereas as a slave, oh, right. you know, maybe if it was really bad, the owner would be affected. Right. Uh, like it would bounce mm-hmm. onto him. But she herself really had no no kind of legal or social agency at Mm -hmm. all. But now as um, a wife, she could. Now, if she married someone, not her ex-owner, that husband, especially if that husband was a freedman of their shared owner, Mm -hmm. the patron, the ex-owner, actually had more authority, if you will, over the freedwoman than her husband oh, did. Oh, gosh. I know. Ew. Yes. Mm. So that's really, I find that kind of fascinating because we think 
about the ancient world is the husband had the say over his wife, no question. Mm -hmm. But actually, the power of the owner, Mm -hmm. ex-owner, was pervasive and uh, extensive compared to what we would think with someone being free. In other words, you almost, you move to either a patron-client kind of setup or like mm, quasi-son, certainly a wife, or depending on the social social distinctions between the levels in society between the former owner and the newly freed slave, she may be a concubine, um, which is, is just a way to kind of get around the realities of the social hierarchy, which is yeah, quite extensive. Yeah. yeah. Um, or often, often just married, but we'll see sometimes in an inscription, the woman who is writing the inscription will thank her patron, former owner, and then mention her husband. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So it's just yeah. all That's wild. of this. Yeah. One of my questions was going to be like, could a slave get married? But I think you answer that because, because, that's like, true. Like, could she marry another slave? Uh, not in a legal sense. But okay. yes, we find those unions that happen. And if the husband gets his freedom, he would, or his manumitted, he may also then try to buy the manumission yeah. of, of his wife. What if the woman has a child? Does the child automatically become part of the slave? Because, I mean, in the, in, the, in the American South, that was, it was permanent slavery. There was mm-hmm. no... No. You know, and it was the whole family. So if, if the, any child is automatically. Yes. And was that the case in Roman? Okay. Yes. So the status, if it, the status of the child followed the mother. So if the mother was a slave, then the child was a slave. Um, if the mother is a freed woman and she was freed by a Roman citizen, so she herself had Roman citizen status, then her children have Roman citizen mm. status. Hmm. Are we all gonna, of this, are we going to give them a quiz? Yeah, really. Well, it, all so of it has details. bearing on other theological concepts, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. so when when the New Testament talks about adoption yep. or when it talks about submission or a, any of these things, yep. now when you know all of this, it's like, oh man, yep. or even bearing the scars, you know, like there's so yep. many just theological concepts. But I want to just create a, or help understand the distinction maybe between, and I know I'm sort of going backwards with this, but like between the ancient Near, Near East slave and an indentured servant, because those are different things. Because we we talk about in the Old Testament, at least, like you could you could willingly indenture yourself to a family or whatever to make money because you were in debt. But the, it sounds like maybe there were levels. Like that's not as bad as being a slave. Do you, I mean? I don't know if you've done any work on that or if you know. Yeah, um, <clears throat> I don't know with indentured servant um, that category that many people coming over to the United States, let's say from, I don't know. Ireland or, or Scotland mm-hmm. or some other area where they would say, I'll, for, if you purchase my travel to the new world, mm-hmm. I'll work for 14 For this years. many years. Yeah. yeah. Um, that I, I'm unaware of for slavery in the Roman okay. period. In uh, the ancient Near East, which would be the Israelite period, then I believe that that is a way that the Israelite community tried to deal with debt and avoid yeah. permanent enslavement. Yeah. Okay. With the, in the Roman period, I, I'm unaware that they would have that specific, um, 
like office or whatever. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It, it, yeah. Instead, you have the hope of manumission. Yeah. After which you're still very much connected to the patron. You yeah. can't like just up sticks and move somewhere else. Yeah. Without the patron's permission. But if the patron gives you permission, then maybe you would go to another city where that patron had an office, if you will, or something, yeah. uh, and, and work and expand the family network. Yeah. The other thing is the, the imperial family had a lot of slaves and they would free their slaves. So you had imperial freedmen who hmm. had, uh, extensive network and mm-hmm. potentially wealth. Who might also own slaves? So oh, that's man. the other it's like crazy a thing. Marketing. You have freedmen and freed women mm-hmm. who would own slaves. Well, and that definitely happened in the American South for sure, um, where people would be slaves, get their earn their freedom in some way. I don't know how they earned it per se or bought it or whatever, and then they would end up owning slaves. But um, yeah. So you've talked a little bit about sort of what a day in the life might look like. A little bit. I don't know if you want to. Ex- Expand on that as far as like men versus women versus children. Well, what a, what's a child slave doing? Uh, a child slave is doing in a lot of ways what, uh, depending on the wealth of the family, what the owner's kids are are doing. They played together early in their lives. Um, when formal education started, that's when things would split off. Mm-hmm. Um, but early on, uh, kids who are born free and slave kids played together. So if we imagine a, a house church with, you know, a dozen or two people, uh, uh, I don't know, a variety of people, right? The uh, half a dozen kids could be slave and free just playing together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there wasn't, it wasn't segmented in the way that I think the American experience was. Everyone was kind of all over. You didn't have slave quarters in homes in, hmm. at this time. They're moving back and forth all the time in the public and uh, yeah. and even in some of the private spaces. So the children... Um, uh, yeah, I would say they're basically the same as the uh, younger kids up to about seven or eight. That's when kids start working okay, and are seen almost like as little adults when they get yeah. their adult teeth in or their se- they lose yeah. their baby teeth. Um, Man. For uh, what else are you going to ask? The men and women? In Which is, or- yeah, difference between men and women and, and children, just like sort of a typical day in the life. I realize it's different whether you're urban or rural or if you're wet nurse or you're this or that. But, um, I mean, it sounds like they were doing the task that people should be doing for themselves. Yes. Um, and, but that there was just this sizable control and that they could be treated really poorly if they were not doing things the way they wanted them to be doing them. But they, so a woman would be what? Cooking, cleaning, weaving, wet nurse. And I guess a man is... Um, doing more heavy labor, building, that kind of thing. Yes, and maybe working in the books, uh, maybe trained as a scribe, uh, maybe going down to the docks to do work that way. Women and and men own shops together, so a family shop like Priscilla and Aquila Mm -hmm. as uh, tent makers or working Mm -hmm. with canvas um, would have, and, and so you would have had slaves 
just woven into the marketplace, um, to the harbor area. Um, and, and you would have these freedmen and women who were manumitted, who could participate, who those who were more wealthy, uh, contributed to the civic life and the religious life of the cities. I'm talking pagans here, yeah. you know, but that, so as the Christian church organized itself, um, the, and they had, let, let's say, um, two or three freedmen or freedwomen in their group, in part, the stain of slavery would never leave because mm -hmm. you would have, people assumed you had been used sexually. Mm. Um, you would have scars on your body, most likely. Mm -hmm. um, and with that was a sense that your own like character was damaged hmm. by that. You you were a liar. You were more hmm. easily a thief. The mm -hmm. kind of uh, negative stereotypes that yeah. would continue. But also, and weirdly, at the same time, you could also be pulled into the family. And, right. And so... So much of it is based on the sort of capricious will of the, the master family. I mean, if they were more kind or more harsh. Exactly right. Set their so you had mercy. both full uh, authority and thus we know often when you give someone authority over another with yep. no boundaries, it's just... It's bad. It's bad. But there was also then a very strong emphasis on what we call benefaction or reciprocity. If, if I give you this gift then you give me something back. And what you give me back, if I manumit you, is you give me back honor and you give me back loyalty and and you further the family legacy and... Uh, make us look good and make... Yeah. Absolutely. And that, it's not an even reciprocity. It's no. not like there's a quality, but, there, but it's a system that both can benefit, not, again, equally, but right. again, it's... Um, it certainly was better yeah. than being a slave. No question. Having uh, freedom and or, or being manumitted and being manumitted as a citizen was incredible. You could also be if your owner manumitted you and you were not, and he or she was not a citizen, then you you didn't benefit from getting citizenship. And there were ways that you could become what they called a Latin, where <laughs> you weren't Roman. It was sort mm -hmm. of a medium. I'm telling you that it's so, it's mm. like, we need a white military has yeah. like yeah. all this hierarchy yeah, stuff. Right, right yeah. Now. Yeah. And that's, the, they knew the system Yeah, because it was just part of their life. Me trying to learn it, you know, just through some law books. It is. Yeah. And I, I don't know if it felt complicated to them. Right. It feels complicated to me because I think, well, wait, how does that fit in? How does that fit in? But the pressure to to treat your slave well, the the pressure on someone to do that was that you would, in the end, look generous. And yeah. that was really it's like important. magnanimous. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, and that's not a godly virtue. Right. You know, so I'm not celebrating that. But it is better than... It's like a social not, pressure. Yeah. It is. Yeah. It is. And so there was a social pressure. It's just not everybody... Felt if, it. <laughs> no. if if 
we could snap our finger and say there was no, say, rape or physical abuse, purely economically, is it a, I mean, I want to ask this in a delicate way, but I mean, is because people will say, well, look, it was essentially, you know, the ancient form of welfare, or it was the ancient form of redistributing wealth. It was the ancient form of, the, the alternative was death. So is that is there too anything nice? to that? Yeah. Is there anything to, you know, saying that slavery as an institution was better than the alternative? You know? No, so, I don't think they would have thought like, that no, way. Okay. Um, I, I think because of the humiliation that came with being enslaved, you had no autonomy. So if you think about uh, what was the main virtue for a Roman woman, it right up there with loyalty and piety to her family would be her chastity. Hmm. So she had no sexual relations until she married, and then she only sexual relations with her husband. And so that, uh, if you can't do that... You're already so less than. Yes, yeah. exactly. And same for a free man. The last thing you want is to have that taken, to have someone else mm -hmm. take that from you. So... In, in a, um, uh, an analogous situation, uh, Seneca writes a number of letters where he talks with his friend about trying to avoid at all costs getting yourself in a situation where you might be tortured. And the because someone then has power over you to humiliate or uh, to be effeminate is actually how. Yeah, <laughs> right. Um, well, I channeling think Aristotle there, yeah, yeah right. you know, it's uh, the male is the norm, and then the opposite is the female, right. and so to have no final say on uh, to be passive, right, right? Hmm. which is what a slave would the have to be, yeah, yes, um, is so humiliating. So that I, I just don't, and you never climb completely out of that hole, even an imperial freedman is still an imperial freedman. And they right. may note that, because I'm attached to the imperial family, but I'm also not. So yeah. is is the church a place slaves could go to get their dignity back? Hmm. Did that work? Like, well, were, I hope were we so. we good enough? Yeah. That's kind of where I was going to segue, yeah. is that as you're talking about this, I keep thinking about that verse, and I know there's more, but the one that comes to mind is the, there is now no Jew or Greek, slave yeah. or free is, the, is part of that. Wow, like that just has so much more meaning when you realize how just embedded yes. all of this is and how much it has to do with your identity. And then here comes the gospel saying, actually, right. like this is a new thing, that yeah. those identities are gone and this new identity has come and it's for everybody. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. So I think a couple of things. Um, one is all believers are promised an inheritance. Mm -hmm. We're inheritance from the Lord because we are co-heirs with Christ. Mm -hmm. So you are now a child of God and you have siblings. So right there, a slave. Jesus. Yeah. I mean, a slave now has a history. They have a past. They have a presence with family. And they have a future. They have an inheritance. None of those are available as a slave in the Roman reality, right? You, you have no family. It's social death, as a scholar um, puts it, hmm. Patterson. And yeah, so you, you 
So I would say that's one thing that the gospel does that often you don't hear people talk about, but I think as a slave, like a, mm-hmm. the children that we were talking yeah. about before, right? There's a slave girl and a um, free girl. And as they hear the letter of Ephesians read in the church, these seven-year-olds both are hearing that each of them and both of them are heirs together. Yeah. You know, and that's powerful. Very. So I'd say that's one thing. Second, um, there's a theme that runs through the New Testament. God shows no favoritism. Mm -hmm. And so you see it in the book of Acts when Peter meets uh, Gentile Cornelius Mm -hmm. and Cornelius receives the Holy Spirit after hearing the gospel message. And Peter's a bit surprised because after all, it's the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is going into unclean pagans. Um, But the, but Peter recognizes, wow, this is like, God shows no favoritism. Yeah. You also see this in the book of James, where James is talking about those who are wealthy and those who are poor. And he cautions the church to don't give special treatment to Mm -hmm. the wealthy, right? God shows no favoritism. Well, Paul uses that same theme in Ephesians chapter six. Which I was going to go to next. Yeah. And good. Let's unpack it. Yeah. And to the slave owners, he says two things. One, he says, uh, do in a sense the same things. Um, well, let's see. Uh, yeah, tell it, us where. I mean, you had you mentioned there were two passages that you have concentrated on that we could look at. One is Ephesians six. What is it? Ephesians six. What? Well, chapter six, verses five through eight, focus on yep. the slave, and then verse nine focuses on the owner. Okay. So one of the things um, to note is that in these household codes. Um, Paul speaks to the subordinate pair, which you don't find in the larger, um, the larger writings of the Greco-Roman world. You don't have oh, them even being addressed. Mm, yeah, the, the Seneca will talk about how husbands should try and create harmony in their home, um, but he never talks to the wife per se. Interesting. Plutarch writes to the bride and groom, and he will give some instructions there, but it's not a household code. Yeah. Um, and he tells her <laughs> just to kind of put up with whatever her husband does. Anyway. Wonderful. Um, yeah, it is. Um, yeah. It, it, it's it, nice to be alive right now. I'm, it will just it say. It really is. Flush yes. toilets, hot showers, and. <laughs> Tex-Mex. Yeah. yeah. And some freedom. Yeah. There you go. So um, the. So the the slave, the wife, the child, the slave are all addressed here in Ephesians, mm-hmm. and they're addressed first. That hmm. would be noted in this very hierarchical culture. That yeah. would be noted. And then Paul uh, says to the masters, treat your slaves in the same way. There's a, there's a phrase that's in the same way. It can be translated a couple of different ways, but essentially what Paul, I think, is asking is that the owners look back to verses seven and eight. Right. Um, the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do. Okay. Whether they're slave or free. That's an amazing acknowledgement that the slave who has to do the job that the owner tells them mop the floor, mm-hmm. um, whatever, that that activity the Lord looks down on and says, that's good. 
Yeah. Maybe that's even some of the, it will count as those good works Mm -hmm. that we walk therein, you know, in chapter two, verse 10. Not that God is co-opting owners by any means, but what he's saying is to the slave, nothing that you do is irrelevant to me. Insignificant, yeah. Insignificant to me and not in, yeah. And, And so then by tying back the, the owner to owner's behavior to the slave's behavior, mm-hmm. which is shocking in the ancient world. Like yeah. to, to, for the owner to even for a nanosecond <laughs> think that their behavior should in any way be comparable to right. the slave. Right. Right. Be goodness. humiliating. Exactly. Yeah. So that's the first step. Then Paul says, don't threaten them. Yeah. Well, you know, he doesn't say don't beat them. He says don't threaten them. Well, the whole institution of slavery, it's an institution of domination. It's built it's on threatening. Re- it's built on threatening. Yeah. And when I was doing some research, uh, there's um, disappointingly even more recent commentaries like done in the 70s even. Um, I found one that said, of course, Paul didn't mean no threatening ever because obviously for a slave to obey, you, you'd have to threaten them. And I thought, mm, I'm not seeing that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not seeing that in the text. Sorry, it's not. Paul meant that. And that no threatening to me is the door beginning to open against the institution of slavery because it only stands because you can dominate. Yeah. And when you remove that, then the structure should collapse. Now, right. it didn't for a long time to the church's shame. It didn't. But that's not Paul's fault if he's trying right. to say, look, you can't threaten. And then he finishes by saying, God shows no favoritism. Mm-hmm. And so that theme of God showing no favoritism, Jew and Gentile have, uh, you know, are equal at the foot of the cross, rich and poor equal at the foot of the cross, slave and owner equal at the foot of the cross, um, not in a mystical, somehow spiritual in the by and by kind of way, but but right now in the church, this is how we function. And well, and I love it. It says, um, because know that he, uh, he who is both their master and yours in heaven, meaning God, God's now the master, Mm -hmm. not this Roman person. That's the master or whoever. Um, and I love that because it's, it's like, it's not just saying like slavery is going to be undone. It's saying you'll now, I mean, there's another passage that says once you were slaves to sin, now you're slaves to Christ. Like mm-hmm. we're now under the kingship or the authority of a good yes. master. Um, and I'm glad you brought up the metaphorical use of slavery that Paul mm-hmm. um, talks about. Um, because I think that can sometimes throw people like, oh, Paul's yeah. trying to soften the hardness of the institution of slavery. I don't think he's doing that with mm-hmm. the metaphorical use First of all, it is popular at that time from the Stoic perspective to talk about being a slave to one's passions, and they're very much against that, right? (laughs) So Paul writing to Gentiles or people that were raised in these cities, that language, that metaphorical use of slavery uh, in the moral world, they would have known that about that. So when Paul talks about being slave to righteousness and mm-hmm. not a slave to sin, he's taking 
an idea and reshaping it mm-hmm. for the gospel. And cleverly, it's an idea both in like cultural practice and in this like philosophical way. Mm-hmm. That's it, masterful. Yeah. Master. And oh, then it's masterful now. Okay. And then also in the Old Testament, you do have language of uh, being a slave to Yahweh or that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not quoting a verse when I say that, but like it's also very much a Jewish mindset that I think mm-hmm. Paul pulls on that uh, to be a slave to God is it doesn't carry the the domination and right. the violence that the human slave it's actually freeing turns right. out exactly exactly and yes. it's funny I don't know that I would think that Paul is using that I I don't know that I would fall in the camp of thinking he was sort of watering down you know, the idea of slavery, but that he was giving weightiness to the fact that when you are slaves to sin, well, you're dead. You know, it's, it is as bad as being a slave to a, a, an ugly master mm-hmm. and that there's a weightiness to being an, yes. a slave to righteousness, a good weightiness. Yes. So, so, and there's another passage that you said you might want to look at in first Peter. Can we look at that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. First Peter two, I think mm-hmm. you said. Yes. So, First Peter also does some household code, mm-hmm. talks in household codes, but he doesn't talk about uh, parent-child. Um, it may be, he stresses a lot how we are children of God mm-hmm. in this, so it may be that that was what he wanted to focus on and yeah. not, um, I mean, it's hard to know when somebody doesn't mention something, why they didn't. Yeah, unless they try to read you. their minds and, a little you know, bit, yeah. Maybe that was in the footnotes, and then we just lost the footnotes. I don't know. <laughs> footnotes. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So that also is in first Peter. Um, I think what I find so significant here in chapter two of first Peter is, um, how he, um, he highlights or lifts up as an example, the slaves in their Christian community as being exemplars of discipleship. Hmm. Okay. So he, he talks about um, how Jesus, as a sheep, you know, going to the slaughter, as someone who's quiet before um, before those um, the oppressors, the oppressors, um, that 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 also is uh, as the as the slave. Uh, let's as. As the slave tries to be a faithful Christian, and their presumably non-Christian owner here um, hits them or beats them for not showing the kind of piety that they should to the household gods mm-hmm. or to the city god or whatever, um, that that same violence was done to the Lord. We mm-hmm. see that in in the Passion narrative, mm-hmm. and so. While not condoning the violence done to that individual, it it says that same violence models the the violence done to the Lord. Yeah, that has a redemptive component to it. And well, Peter talks about that um, elsewhere. He talks about joining Christ in His sufferings. Yes, it's a kind of a theme of his. Yes, so that makes sense. Yes. So he's not saying like, enjoy this, isn't it great? He's saying when this happens, which it inevitably will, and that's not good. It's just a reality. You can at least know that you are 
joining your savior who did the same thing? I mean, is that kind of the... Yes, yes. He um, he suffered. Yeah. He suffered. And he didn't make any threats, which would be the slave's life, right? Yeah. You know, if they spoke out, they'd get another beating. Mm-hmm. So how awful is that? How alone might you feel? Yeah. And and so Peter, again, not condoning yeah. the violence... I should also state, though, that this time period was very violent. Mm. So when in chapter three, we have the wives being uh, asking them to submit to their own husbands. And mm-hmm. um, at the very end of that passage, verse six, at the very end of verse six, Peter says, you're her daughters, that is Sarah's daughters, if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. And a little bit further down in this um in the letter, talk about violence done, uh, physical violence done to believers as mm-hmm. they get crossways with non-believers in, in their yeah. community. The level of physical violence in the household, husbands against wives, owners against slaves, parents against children, the kinds of things that would happen there that wouldn't raise any flags today in the United States would be illegal. I know yeah. they happen also today, but at least they, we call it, you know, there's a concept called domestic it violence, you know, yeah. and there's laws against that. Marital rape is now understood mm-hmm. as something, right? Mm-hmm. In the ancient world, that that was not the case. And so there's, I'm impressed how much in this section, Peter acknowledges the reality of violence that is happening, not hmm. condoning it, but yeah. recognizing it. And yeah. in that saying, you know, you're not alone in hmm. this. Um, and hopefully it's a call as well for those who have power to stop it, to stop it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but uh, for those that have no power to stop it, mm-hmm. uh, to know that they, um, that they're seen. You know, this is such a rogue, weird thought, but um, people will often say like, why did Jesus come when he did? Like, why didn't he come closer to us? And part of me wonders if it's because the people living in this kind of barbaric, violent culture, I mean, more than more than we do in this way, um, needed that. I mean, you know, that there's, I mean, obviously there were there was a long time where this was happening. So it's not, this isn't the only one, but this is one where they could in their very real time think like, this is, I mean, it was, it was sort of present. Yeah. I don't know. I, yeah. Yeah. That's well, what I, I would say, you know, um, people, one of the criticisms kind of back to the introduction, you know, one of the criticisms is that, well, Christianity didn't do enough to end mm-hmm. slavery. Well, uh, everything you've said, Including the violence and the pervasiveness in the in the in the very complex social strata of slaves and you know patrons and blah blah blah, um, is that this was a thoroughly built-in system that would have that that did take you know centuries to sort of unpack and unwind and it would have taken many many changed hearts you know for people to see, oh okay I I as a Christian I'm not going to treat my slave this mm-hmm. way or you know maybe not even have one. we haven't even talked about um, you know Philemon. But um, I would I would imagine that that did have incredible impact later, where Paul is essentially saying we well, don't have to free him. You know, technically you sort of don't have to, but you know he is your brother in Christ, so let's you know go ahead and do it. I don't know. Anyway, the arguments were subtle, 
you know, yes. it, that Paul has to make, that, that Peter has to make. They have to make subtle arguments. You know, they're appealing to better natures. But over time, they did have profound impact. But they couldn't have done it when there's like eight Christian churches in the world. No. You know, and this social strata is everywhere. Right, you know? right. Yes. And and these letters are to help right then and there. Yes. They And so it's the hand you're dealt, mm-hmm. you know, to your point. And so right now with my non-Christian owner or my non-Christian husband, mm-hmm. how do I live the gospel? And they're answering that. They're saying, yes. well, you can live the gospel and even, you know, make, like you said, make an impact mm-hmm. in, in that world. I also think that they might not have known the power of their words. Like, I, um, I think there is, if we, if we talk just in terms of interpretation, I think there are ways where Paul says, like, God shows no favoritism. I don't know if he imagined the United States of America <laughs> with a representative democracy. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, the, the, as flawed as that is. But did he, could he imagine something, a large empire structure without slaves? There were, there was a small hmm. group of Jew, Jews called the Essenes. And mm-hmm. from what we can tell, they did not have slaves. Um, in their too busy small writing, community. writing, 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 all the writing. So there's, but that's a little pocket. Interesting. Of, of uh, it's a little community. Um, so but isn't they, that partly because the Essenes were so separatist? They had removed themselves so far. I mean, it started yeah. with Hellenism, right, and then it continued into the Roman Empire, where they wanted to be so separate that I guess they took themselves out of that whole idea. Yes, uh, like a, a new mona- like the. Precursor to monasticism, yeah. almost. Yeah. Um, and and so there were people thinking about could I create, but not a society, not a government, not not a whole functioning yeah. economy, but could I pull More myself pockets. out and live this mm. way? Yeah. And in a sense, that's what the church tried to do. I huh. think it was offensive that that everyone was treated the gospel message, like their co-heirs, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that the equalizer. Oh yes. Yeah. I mean, you look at first Corinthians chapter seven, uh, sorry, chapter 11 verses 17 and following where they talk about having communion and how frustrated Paul is. And he's frustrated, not because they don't have the words of institutions memorized, <laughs> but because they are not considering the poor in their mix. Some people come hungry mm-hmm. and they leave hungry and that can't be the gospel meal. And so those who come with their own fancy meal and lay it out on the table in front of them to show off their wealth, conspicuous consumption, literally, um, (laughs) that that's, that's not, that's not the church. Yeah. And, and so I don't, I like to imagine that this happened at least maybe once where an owner served communion to their slave. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Because that would be the gospel message. And that's what yeah. Paul is pushing towards. But it's a steep uphill climb. Mm-hmm. But And and whether he like uh, fully imagined that, I don't know. But that it's the gift of scripture to the church to make mm-hmm. that a reality mm-hmm. in wherever we are. Yeah. Move would, it forward. I would Love say it. more than an offense, it would have been a threat. You yes. know, because social order is predicated upon certain people, mm-hmm. the elites, 
Mm -hmm. I think we're fighting in many ways the same thing in our, I think men will always fight this because there will always be social strata and I'm not Mm -hmm. a utopian. I'm not a communist, whatever. (laughs) Um, But, you know, I think Christianity was definitely, you know, this, wait a minute, you know, you're going to, you're going to remove my power Mm -hmm. if, if you're advocating a society in which slave and free are the same, male and female are the same. So, so that language of citizenship, well, we go to Philippians, Mm -hmm. Um, we're citizens of heaven Mm -hmm. and that's where our savior is coming from, Jesus Christ, and we'll be transformed. So we've got some of this now, we've got maybe a foot in the kingdom of God now, Mm -hmm. but we'll have both feet, uh, in the new heavens and new earth with the kingdom of God fully established. But that it's not utopian because it is real, uh, it's eschatological, thinking what yeah. will happen in the eschaton in the end. Um, but that's a true promise. And we have yeah. the Holy Spirit now indwelling yeah. that that helps us see that. And, and it's okay to drag the eschaton like towards us, right? <laughs> you know, it's like, hey, this is what it's going to look like. So maybe we, we can could start do- doing some of that yes, stuff. We yes, can do yeah. some yes. stuff now. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think, you know, by and large, ultimately, Christian, you know, the Christian ethic is prevailed so the thing i mean as we sit here and recoil at uh, an you know an owner's ability to you know abuse a slave we only recoil at that because you know we like you you said jesus came because it was such a barbaric time i'm not sure that we're actually not more barbaric i the slavery that we have Mm. in the world right now is i think worse than roman slavery if i might dare say so i mean the sex trafficking going on Mm. on our very border you know what hamas is uh, you know doing or you know would anyway i mean I don't know. I, I think there's still a lot of barbarity, and the answer is the same, which is yeah. the the gospel of Jesus Christ still today. I want the drug cartels to convert to Christianity so that they see human beings as, as that hmm. and they don't traffic them. Hmm. I mean, I hate to say it, but I think what's going on, you know, where women and children are holed up in a hotel room, you yeah. know, yep. days at a time, 20 people a day, I mean... You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, I know you know. I mean, I, I'm and I'm I'm t- probably taking this conversation beyond where it should go. But yeah, I wanted a cheery ending. This sorry. Is a... Anyway, well, <laughs> no, I think and I think that there's always that temptation, that human temptation to violence. So yeah. part of me wants to cry when mm-hmm. I hear you uh, say that, and part of me gets so angry, I I just want to punch. Yeah. Not you two. Yeah. Maybe I'll just. I go. mean, these walls are padded, so maybe I'll. But <laughs> you know what like I mean? Like, and I want. I want to. I want to react with violence. Yeah. And that is, that's not the way of Jesus. Hmm. Right? Uh, it, it, I mean, <laughs> we'd have to do a couple more podcasts. I was going to yeah. say, yeah. really stretch that out. I was biting my I, tongue just yeah. then, like, well, what about this? And what about No, I know. But that's know, another topic. But yeah. we can rationalize, yes. I think, is my worry. And so the Christian nationalism that has grown up where we equate whatever our secular government does with how the church should be Mm. is dangerous in different ways to the violence that terrorists have on the rules, so to speak, of war, which is that soldiers fight each other and you hit military targets, not civilian targets, right? And But underneath it all, these rules that we've laid down, there is this sinful nature Mm -hmm. that can strike out with violence. And it's that 
that the Lord has changed from uh, we're not a slave to sin anymore. Mm-hmm. We are slave to righteousness. So it's thanks be to God. We can, yes. And we can then walk in newness of life yeah. in the power of the spirit. Well, I'll say this. So we, um, several, a few months ago, we had somebody on that was talking about the Trinity. And he said, you know, after we've had this conversation, when you go back and read your Bible, you're going to see Trinity language everywhere. And I think after this conversation, you, we're going to notice things, not just about slaves or free, slave or free, but even about this idea of that God shows no favoritism. That's all through scripture. You know, I mean, um, that, that the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ and, and the freedom that comes with that is this great equalizer and that there is no slave or Greek, male or female. I'm getting the order wrong, but you know. Um, and so that's, I'm, I'm interested to see now when I read my Bible, if I'm going to notice these, oh, I bet. Or the fact that you said that there's not really a lot in these codes about like widows or orphans, but then you notice though, that the Bible writers include those categories, right? That's true religion, right? Exactly. That's right. Yes. Um, so they're there and it's important for us to, to raise them up out of the pages and, and populate hmm. the community in our imagination so that we can see them today too in yes. our communities. Yeah. Yeah. Is there, there anything that you want to add before we close this out? This has been really interesting. Oh, well, I'm a professor, so I could go on <laughs> and on. So you feel free, just land that plane. Okay, we'll, we'll <laughs> land it. But then here's the thing. If you like what you heard and you like uh, listening to, to Lynn speak, you can come on December 12th and listen to her speak about other things, other interesting and spicy things. Women, women in ministry, what ought we do? Should we be quiet? That would make this podcast well. <laughs> pretty boring. Um, but I don't think the rule is about podcasts. So, uh, But where could people find you if they wanted to maybe like, I don't know, come to one of your classes or ask you a question? What? How can people get in touch with you? Yeah, I do have um, a website. Okay. LynnCoick.com, I think it's is what it C-O-H-I-C-K. is. C-O-H-I-C-K. Good. Yes. dot yes. mm-hmm. I'm also on the website of the Houston Christian University. Yeah. So they can find me there. Um, and the Center for Women in Leadership. Ooh, fancy. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah. of course, if you wanted to go to that visual gallery thing. Visualmuseum.gallery. Gallery. Okay. Yep. yep. And uh, everything you need to know about Theology on Tap, you can find at HoustonTOT.com. Um, come to our events. You know, from now on, we're going to be having monthly events, um, and that's going to be really fun. We have a fun party coming up with some big, secret, exciting, scandalous news. I don't know how to make it more spicy than that, but you know, things are, big things are happening. Um, so check us out there. And until we see you again, we encourage you as always to question freely, think deeply and disagree as needed. 